you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. The terms used for the bipolar extremes known as melancholy and mania both have their origins in ancient Greek. Melancholy derives from melos, meaning black, and kole, meaning bile, because Hippocrates thought that depression resulted from an excess of black bile. Mania is related to the word menos, meaning spirit, force, or passion, but also manistheia, which means to rage or to go mad, and mantis seer, but ultimately derives from the Indo-European root men, meaning mind. The idea of a relationship between melancholy and mania can be traced then back to the ancient Greeks, and particularly to Eretaeus of Cappadocia, who was a physician and philosopher in the time of Nero, that would be 1st century AD. Eretaeus described a group of patients who laughed, played, danced night and day, and sometimes go openly to the market crowned as if victors in some contest of skill, only later to be torpid, dull, and sorrowful at other times. But the modern psychiatric concept of bipolar disorder has its origins in the 19th century. In 1854, a man named Jules Belarger and Jean-Pierre Falred independently presented descriptions of the disorder to the Académie de Médecine in Paris. Belarger called the illness foil a double forme, or dual form insanity, whereas Falred called it folie circulaire, circular insanity. Please excuse my French, by the way. In the early 1900s, the German psychiatrist Emil Kraepelin coined the term manic depressive psychosis to describe this combination of mania and melancholy. The terms manic depressive illness and bipolar disorder then are comparatively recent and date back from the 1950s and 1980s respectively. The term bipolar disorder is thought to be less stigmatizing by psychiatrists than the older term manic depressive illness, and so the latter has largely superseded the former. However, some psychiatrists and some people with bipolar disorder still prefer the term manic depression because they feel that it reflects the nature of this disorder more accurately. So there you go. There's a brief history of bipolar disorder a challenging form of depression that appears to be on the rise over the last several decades. Current statistics say that nearly 6 million American adults are affected by this disorder every year. Yet there are also those who claim to have bipolar or think others are bipolar simply because they are moody or experience emotional highs and lows. And like many of the more difficult mental and emotional problems, the common wisdom from the psychological and medical experts is that bipolar is a purely physiological disorder of the brain. It is an illness, a disease, 
hence a medical problem. So there would be many who would say that biblical counseling is not helpful, effective, or even necessary for those struggling with the symptoms of bipolar disorder. After all, the Bible doesn't even really talk about it. But the truth is that as a form of depression, we must handle this problem biblically, dealing with body and soul, and digging down to the heart of the matter of bipolar disorder. So what are the recognized symptoms of bipolar disorder? Well, as you can tell from the name itself, there must be two main polar experiences, known as mania and depression. First, there is an episode of mania, or at least what has become known as hypomania, a less severe form of mania. Mania is characterized by at least three of the following symptoms. Being abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired. An increase of activity, energy, or agitation. An exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence, also known as euphoria. A decreased need for sleep. Unusual talkativeness. Racing thoughts high distractibility, and finally, very poor decision-making. For example, going on extreme spending sprees, taking great sexual risks, or making foolish investments. We'll talk more about these manic symptoms later on. Then there's the depressive part of the disorder, in which psychiatrists say a person must have at least five of the following symptoms. A depressed mood, feeling sad, empty, hopeless, or tearful. A marked loss of interest or feeling no pleasure in all or almost all activities. Significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite. Either insomnia or sleeping too much. Either restlessness or slowed behavior. Fatigue and loss of energy. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Decreased ability to think or concentrate or great indecisiveness. And finally, thinking about planning or attempting suicide. Now, complicating matters, the psychiatric establishment asserts that there are actually four types of bipolar disorder. Bipolar 1 disorder where a person has at least one manic episode preceded or followed by a major depressive disorder. There also may be a psychotic break involved. Then there's bipolar 2 disorder, where there's at least one depressive episode and one hypomanic episode, but never a real, true manic episode. Third, there's something called cyclothymic disorder, where a person has at least two years of many hypomanic episodes and many periods of depressive symptoms, but not as bad as a major depression. And finally, the other category, which includes bipolar episodes induced by certain drugs or alcohol or even a medical condition. Now, as confusing as all that may sound, the point is that bipolar disorder can be more mild or more severe more episodic or more ongoing, just like pretty much every other problem. It is always better to see disorders on a spectrum rather than just a singular problem. So just as depression can be on a spectrum from mild to moderate to severe, so can bipolar disorder. Now let's talk for a moment about causes. 
According to the Mayo Clinic website, the exact cause of bipolar disorder is unknown. Any honest source of information out there says the same thing. Yet you've probably heard that bipolar is caused by a defective brain chemistry or that it is genetic since it is more common in people who have relatives with bipolar. None of that has been proven, but it is still widely accepted. If we hold to a biblical worldview when it comes to a problem like bipolar disorder, we will consider other factors that contribute to the problem. The home environment the person was raised in. The examples of parents and other family members. Personality differences. Sinful and rebellious hearts and minds. Trauma and difficult early experiences in life. And finally, an unregenerate heart devoid of the Spirit's powerful work of sanctification. We live in a time where these factors are downplayed, and we are quick to accept that just about every problem is a medical one, which is solved then by medical treatment. While I totally understand the desire for a medication to solve every issue of life, it is rarely that easy. And such is the case with bipolar disorder. So then let's draw out some biblical and practical principles for this difficult problem. First, it all begins with depression. We must always remember that bipolar disorder is a form of depression. Whether it is called manic depressive disorder or bipolar depressive disorder, the fundamental feature is depression. In other words, a person doesn't begin with mania. He or she begins with a stubborn depression. The low comes first, not the high. So you need to go back and listen to my season one podcast on depression for a refresher. But to save you the time, here are some key points to remember. Depression is a symptom, not a root heart problem. It's where we end up at the end of a downward spiral. Even though depression has an almost universal experience, it does not have a singular cause. There are dozens and dozens of causes and contributors that bring a person to the level of ongoing despair and discouragement. So the person struggling with bipolar needs to first focus on the underlying factors of his or her depression. Is it grief, guilt and shame, anger or bitterness, anxiety, a poor response to a challenging life situation, a physical problem of some sort? Remember that depression persists when a person has crossed the hope line where they become hopeless or have put their hope in self or others rather than in God. Again, bipolar disorder is first depression. Why is the person pressed down and fighting with a stubborn darkness? This question must be answered first in the process of solving the problem of bipolar. Second practical principle Dealing with the temptation to overcorrect. Barbara is a college student who has always struggled with depressive feelings and even suicidal thoughts at times. She has few friends, can't seem to get the grades that she wants, and is pretty hopeless about the future. Every few months, Barbara starts to feel better about life. She becomes more hopeful and happy, even giddy. She celebrates by going on a spending spree, sometimes getting an entirely new wardrobe to reward herself. Barbara even calls herself the new Barbara to her classmates, willing to try new and even risky behavior if anyone wants to join her. 
as you can probably guess, the new Barbara doesn't last long. She burns out, flames out, and ends up being depressed again. Nothing new of real substance ever happens. Actually, more problems happen. Barbara incurs more debt or gets in trouble with her parents since it is their credit card. She feels ashamed of her risky behavior and doesn't even get real friends out of the deal. Her grades suffer even more. This bipolar cycle can be understood then as a great overcorrection, an attempt to try to fix one extreme problem by swinging the pendulum to the other extreme. Think about it this way. You're driving late at night, getting very sleepy. You are trying to keep your eyes open, pinching yourself, listening to loud music, but nothing is working. Your car begins to swerve, headed for the shoulder in a ditch. Thankfully, your car runs over those wake-up bumps, right, that jolt you awake. But you're so startled that you swing the steering wheel the other way so aggressively that you actually end up in the other lane of traffic and get hit by a truck. Boy, that's a sad story. But it illustrates the overcorrective nature of bipolar. In order to get out of depression, a person like Barbara overcorrects and ends up in mania. It may seem to solve the problem of depression temporarily, but it only creates bigger problems in the end. So it is vital for a person who is struggling with bipolar to see their temptation to overcorrect and go to the other extreme. Extremes can be very addicting. They can bring a strange sort of comfort and can give the feel of real control. At the heart, though, of the overcorrection is the self-willed desire to fix depression all on our own. In the end, it only avoids dealing with the real problem. Third principle, we need to deal with the ups and downs of life. We all experience highs and lows, don't we? None of us enjoy the down times, the times of sadness, grief, loss, and worse. The temptation, even as Christians, is to believe that we should always be up and never be down, at least not for very long. Then we can even think of the Christian life as just an ever-rising path, with things always getting better and better. But the reality of living as sinners, even redeemed sinners in this fallen world, is that our moods will go up and down for various reasons, in response to a lifetime that isn't always rainbows and unicorns. Even the most even-keeled among us will get down at times. Am I saying that the person struggling with bipolar should just accept the times of depression and mania? Not at all. Depression and mania are the extremes that must be avoided. But they cannot be avoided by simply thinking that I should never feel the least bit of sadness or that I must be happy, happy, happy all the time. That sort of thinking isn't realistic and will only contribute to more bipolar. Accepting the fact that there will be times of sorrow and times of gladness will go a long way to reorient any inclination to extreme highs and lows. In other words, it's a moderate place of contentment, realizing that I'll be happy at times and sad at times, hopefully with a foundation of joy that is found in the Lord. So as much as we don't want to fall in the trap of moodiness or always cycling between being up or down, Recognize the inevitability of highs and lows in life. Then as Christians, we are to respond well, 
looking with eyes of faith to what the Lord is doing in our lives instead of independently fixing our moods and emotions. Let's consider now several more practical principles that are necessary to help us solve bipolar disorder. The next principle is learning to break a habit. All of our mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational problems have the potential to be habit-forming. After all, God has created us to learn habits that simply become who we are and how we operate. Unfortunately, we can get stuck with bad habits much more easily than good habits due to our sin and weakness. So for someone like Barbara, bipolar becomes a habitual way of living. Depression followed by mania, extreme downs with rapid and extreme highs. Breaking that habit is not an easy task. Do we want Barbara to stay depressed in order to avoid the manic episodes? We certainly don't want her to stay manic, which is physically impossible anyway. Sooner or later, a manic person will crash. No, we want to break that habit by dealing with the depression, avoiding the habit of solving it through manic behavior. The question is then, what is at the root of the depression that I need to solve? What thinking and behavior has to change? Resisting the habit to become manic is very difficult because it seems to be much better than depression. It is a satanic lie that says, problem solved. Mania is a habit that appears to get a lot of things done or makes me more attractive or appealing to others. Why would a person want to change that habit if it is so rewarding? Ultimately, we can only change habits by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it can be a long process, especially if the bipolar has been at work for a while. Then there's the problem of identity. Dwight is in his 40s and has struggled with bipolar disorder nearly half his life. His manic behavior consists of staying up all night for days, working on inventions in his man cave. He struggles with insomnia a lot. When he is having his highs, he also drinks more, gets all his buddies together for a crazy road trip of some kind, and can slip into some bizarre behavior. Each time Dwight comes down, his depression deepens. He sleeps more, avoids people, and misses work. He doesn't get much done, only binge-watching Netflix most of the time. Both Dwight and Barbara have to deal with the fact that their bipolar behavior is defining their identity. Remember the new Barbara? And Dwight likes the fun Dwight, as he calls himself? Bipolar easily leads a person to think of themselves as two different people, the fun person or the boring person, the happy gal or the bummed out girl. That's a recipe for some more extreme psychotic thinking. So the ever-present question of who am I is especially relevant for a person with bipolar disorder. They must learn to see themselves as one person in Christ, not two different people. Our identity as Christians is always Christ in me and I in Christ. There is no room for a belief that I am two separate people. Now, we certainly can find particular aspects of our personalities more attractive than others. We can also enjoy ourselves in certain social situations or environments more than others. 
But to take another step and somehow look at ourselves as two separate people, hating the one and loving the other, must never be embraced. So Barbara must stop calling herself new, and Dwight must resist the name Fun Dwight. There is just Barbara and Dwight in good times and bad. Again, our identity must always be rooted in what Jesus Christ is doing in me and how he is growing me to look more like him, even when it doesn't feel like it. The next principle, learning to think rightly. So what needs to be changed in how a person with bipolar thinks? Just as with other problems, this is a battle for the mind. All depressed thoughts need to be examined in the light of Scripture and God's view of things. This includes how a person is thinking about God, self, and other people. Typically, these thoughts will be very angry and hopeless, seeing very little good in God or in this life. The promises of God will be avoided or thought of as not applicable to me. Or a person will think God has promised things he has not. There's also the need to challenge thought patterns about suffering. Does the person believe he or she shouldn't suffer as a Christian? Or that he or she is suffering because of God's wrath upon them? Then there's the more difficult challenge of examining thoughts during a manic episode. In one sense, there is very little thinking going on, just a lot of impulsivity. Yet there are grandiose thoughts and thoughts that overinflate self that must be addressed. A manic height allows me to think more highly of myself than I ought. Again, it is vital that a person is growing in grace which will bring mind renewal. To be stuck in destructive patterns of thinking only produces more and more cycles of bipolar behavior. Breaking free from unhealthy thought patterns means starting to think in new ways. It sheds an old identity and thinks more about things that are right and pure and holy. Then there's the relational component that we need to address. We often distinguish problems in categories like this. Individual problems, marital problems, or parenting problems. I have even grouped my podcast episodes in that manner. But unfortunately, these titles can be a little deceiving. Is there really such a thing as an individual problem? Or are all of our problems individual problems? Well, in one sense, each person must own his own problem, right? My anxiety is my anxiety, not someone else's. My anger is my anger. But at the same time, my anxiety or anger affects people around me. And people around me can affect my anxiety or anger. Such is the case with bipolar disorder. It is an individual problem that impacts people in my life as well as is affected by the people in my life. In other words, it is a relational problem too. Depression clearly isolates people from one another. The person who is depressed often longs for intimacy but is also repulsed by it. He or she wants others to care but also only wants to be alone. Depressed feelings make relationships exhausting. Depression is also sometimes partially the result of a lack of real relationships in the first place. So when a person is depressed, there is no substance to build on with others. On the other hand, mania relates to people in inappropriate and sinful ways. In a manic episode, a person can become highly sexualized, flirty, 
demanding the center of attention. They can use other people, abuse relationships, and run right over other people. Most people actually want to run from a manic person, while others will be attracted to him or her greatly. So to make this very practical, if you have a friend or loved one who displays symptoms of bipolar disorder, how do you relate to them? When Dwight is depressed, what do you do? Leave him to himself or reach out more? Tell him to be happy or tell him to snap out of it? How about talking about the joy of the Lord? You may find that there is little you can do or say other than pray. Yet you are responsible to speak the truth in love, to comfort the afflicted, and to encourage the one in despair. If Dwight is a Christian, you need to point him to his relationship with Jesus over and over again. You can never downplay depression, but you also have to ensure that you're not just giving pity. Truth in love, love in truth, hold both of these in tension. Then what about Barbara when she is manic? You definitely don't want to do anything to give in to her seduction or flirtation. Yet that may make her more angry and vindictive too. She needs to hear the truth spoken in love as well. She needs to be pointed to Christ and challenged to put away her foolish behavior. It will not help you to think that she can't help herself. Whether she is on some sort of medication or not, she needs friends who will point out wrong behavior and call her to right choices. She needs to be redirected to righteousness. Now, no words will ultimately bring real heart change. Yet we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to speak the truth in love, to be an example of Christ, and to pray. Then we trust the work of the Spirit. Unfortunately, we often break relationship and avoid people with these difficult problems. All of us need the sacrificial love of Christ offered by selfless Christians. Just a couple more important principles to consider. First, when is it just plain old sin? Let me run through the symptoms of mania one more time. Being abnormally upbeat, jumpy, or wired. An increase of activity, energy, or agitation. An exaggerated sense of well-being and self-confidence. A decreased need for sleep. Unusual talkativeness. Racing thoughts. High distractibility. Very poor decision-making. Now, not all of those are sinful behaviors, but many of them are. They sound a bit like descriptors of a rebellious teenager. The point is that common wisdom about bipolar disorder tends to dismiss these behaviors because the person just can't help himself or herself. Yet all of us are responsible for our sinful behaviors before the Lord. None of us can say we can't help it, since we have sinful hearts. So while it may be true that someone struggling with episodes of depression might find it harder to not give in to sinful manic behaviors, this does not mean he or she is totally unable to choose what is right. And yes, I'm putting this in context of a Christian who is able to do what is right. We must not take sin out of the equation of bipolar disorder allowing people to say things like, that wasn't me, that was my bipolar, or 
I couldn't help it. I was in a manic phase at the time. If the person is a professing believer, he or she has the Holy Spirit and can resist sin, even though it is hard. Just giving in to manic urges or even depressive thoughts without resistance is a sign of a rebellious heart that needs true change. In other words, it is vital to confess all wrong behavior as sin, enjoy the forgiveness of God, and learn to walk a path of true repentance. To just blame brain chemistry or my DNA will not allow for biblical change to occur. And then we must speak of self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. While the depressed component of bipolar requires the joy of the Lord, the manic part needs the Spirit to provide the much-needed characteristic of self-control. As I've already pointed out, impulsivity, irrationality, emotionalism, all characterize mania. In other words, a lack of any real self-control. Wild spending, crazy investments, sexual experimentation, life without any borders. Again, all to seemingly break free of the constraints of depression. So the spirit needs to do his work of bringing control into an out-of-control life. The Christian alone can have self-control, but the Christian could also resist the spirit and give in to these sinful impulses. Bipolar disorder itself does not take away a person's ability to exert self-control. Again, given that person is a Christian. Not exerting self-control only feeds the problem of bipolar. So little by little, Dwight and Barbara need some victories of self-control, of not giving in to their impulses, their obsessions, and their emotions. This, of course, will not be easy at first. High accountability will be a must. And yet, if we believe that God gives us his spirit to produce the fruit of the spirit, then self-control comes in that package as well. We are to pray for wisdom and the grace of being controlled by the Spirit instead of being controlled by the flesh. Read Galatians 5. What comes right before descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit? The works of the flesh. Listen from verse 19. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you hear any bipolar behaviors in there? We all need the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, or we will just give in to our sinful works of the flesh. As extreme as bipolar appears to us, it is understandable when we see it as a type of depression and when we see our own temptation to give in to our moods, to go high and low when life is up and down, to operate in the flesh rather than in the spirit. Anyone can get there too. Bipolar easily becomes an addictive cycle, hard to break, feeding an identity that divides a person. We must hold on to the truth of who we are in Christ and seek the work of the Spirit of Truth to bring real heart change. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about 
at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.